Got to start our day off with seeing another person uh, go public with their faith and baptism. That's always awesome. That's always a win on a Sunday. Yeah. So we are uh, we're still in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15, and uh, we're going to kind of be continuing a sequence of events that's been going on over the last couple of messages. Um, but have you ever felt like you ever felt like an outsider? Yeah. Ever felt like maybe you didn't belong somewhere? When you were a kid, right, you, you, if you walked to school and you, you saw people driving to school and you're like, oh, that would be, you know, that would be awesome, that would be so cool. And, and then, you know, when you're, in school, when you're a teenager, you think, oh, it would be so awesome to be an adult. And once you're an adult, you realize there are no adults and everybody wishes they weren't, right, wishes they were still a kid. Uh, but... But, you know, we've all had those, those times where we felt like, you know, we were kind of on the outside looking in. You know, some, and especially sometimes we feel like an outsider in our relationships with other people, right? So, like there's an invisible barrier between us. And there's nothing worse than that. There's nothing worse than how that manifests itself sometimes is, and those of you that are married, you know what this is, right? The... There's a certain kind of treatment. What is it? The silent treatment, right? That is, that is the worst sign that there is a barrier in your relationship, that there's, you're on the outside looking in, right? That is the worst thing in the world. There's, it's, a, it's a sign that you know something is coming, right? And in my house, the silent treatment is the calm before the storm, right? It, it's, it's quiet right now. It's not going to be here pretty soon. You know, so, uh, so the silent treatment is just is the, is the worst. So we're going we're gonna to see in our text today uh, some people that, are, that feel like they're on the outside looking in. There's a little bit of silent treatment going on. There's, there's some barriers uh, that are being dealt with. And all this stuff is taking place. Uh, this is where we're at in the Gospel of Matthew when we're in chapter 15. This is about a year or so before the crucifixion. Right, so this is, you know, if you knew you had a year to live, what sorts of things would you be saying and doing with the people closest to you, right? You, you would be trying to get across the things that are most important to you. And so Jesus, over, you know, the, the next 10 or so chapters, we're going to see that, that Jesus, he's in his final year of earthly ministry, and he's really focusing on teaching his disciples, not just the crowds. He's trying to teach his disciples, those that are walking closely with him, some specific things and trying to prepare them for the work ahead. And so his disciples are still pretty selfish. They're still petty. They're still arguing over who's going to be most important in the kingdom and, and harboring prejudices against other people. So they've, they've got a lot to learn, and he's got a short time to get it across to them. So that's, that's kind of where we're at. Let's ask the Lord to help us understand all this, and we'll dive right into it. Jesus, we thank you for another opportunity to study your word. Uh, we thank you that uh, Lord, that we know you're still changing hearts and lives, and, and, uh, and that though our circumstances may look different, uh, there's really nothing new under the sun. We're just facing uh, different colors, different shades, different variations of the same problems that mankind has faced from the beginning. 
And Lord, we know that you don't change. And so we're thankful that we have your word. We pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts uh, to see the truth of it. Help us understand it. Help us be changed by it. Help us to know you better. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay, so Matthew 15, verse 21, it says, Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. So up until this point, Jesus has primarily been ministering in, uh, in the northern parts of Israel. And so he's getting ready to turn his attention to the southern part of Israel, I- including Jerusalem, right? That's where everything's going to go down here in about a year from where we're at in our text. But before he does, he takes a little detour, and he goes deep into a non-Jewish territory. And he's entering an area that today we know it as Lebanon. Okay? And so that's, that's where he's at. Uh, verse 22, it says, A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. Now Mark's account of this tells us that she was a, a Syrio-Phoenician woman. So she was part Syrian, part Phoenician. She's living in Canaanite territory. All of these are just groups of people that are hated by the Jews. And so Jesus just took his 12 Jewish disciples into this territory, and, and uh, things are about to get interesting. Now, the area where they're in, this culture, it was, it was as morally corrupt and bankrupt as they come. Like, they, they worshipped uh, this goddess called Anat, and, and it involved a lot of, there were temple prostitutes and all sorts of weird sexual perversions. It included relations between adults and children, and uh, yeah, all kinds of crazy stuff. They even practiced this thing called foundational sacrifices. So if you wanted your new business or your new home to be blessed, then you would sacrifice uh, one of your children, and you'd place them in a container and put that mixed in with the foundation blocks, and that's how you would be blessed. So they thought. So this is the kind of culture that Jesus is, is entering into. And so if ever there was a lifestyle that was unholy, right? If, 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 any, if ever there was a people who were separate from God, this is it. Now, maybe you hear those things and you, and you think, okay, well, I, I'm not like that. But maybe you do feel like you're, you're separate from God, right? You're, you're, you have a lifestyle that keeps you uh, from feeling deserving of, of Jesus, or you're, you're as far from holy as, as you can possibly imagine being, right? Maybe that's not you, maybe it is, but, but praise God, Jesus is in the business of breaking down barriers, right? We've been talking about that the last couple of weeks. He's in the business of tearing down walls, and so even though you may feel distant, you may feel like there's a divide between you and him, uh, he's, he's done the work to get rid of that. So Mark, gives, Mark also gives another interesting tidbit about this, right? So this woman, she's approached Jesus, and she says, Have mercy, I have a daughter who is demon-possessed. Anyone who's ever had a teenage daughter has probably had that thought <laughs> at one point or another, right? But this, in this case, uh, it appears that really is the case. 
But Mark gives us this little tidbit. Mark 7, verse 24 says, Then Jesus left Galilee, went north to the region of Tyre. He didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it a secret. Right away, a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet. Uh, Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit, and she begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. So Jesus is actually trying to keep a, a, a bit of a low profile here. He's not just out in the street. He's in a house. And this lady finds out what house he's in, and she, you know, comes and, 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 and makes a, a bit of a scene. You know, she starts crying out to him. And how Jesus responds, though, is a little troubling, right? Because we have our preconceived notions of how Jesus deals with people. And, and like we've said in the title of this series, it's upside down. Jesus is, he's turning our, our, mis- our preconceptions on their head, flipping things upside down. She cries out to him, uh, but Matthew 15, verse 23 says, But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. He gives her the silent treatment. Now, why, why is Jesus silent? It, it comes across kind of rude, right? But ne- he, everything he does is, is with a purpose. He's, I think there's a few reasons. One, remember, he's teaching his disciples something. That's, that's the focus of his ministry at this point. Because you notice their response, right? He doesn't answer. He's silent. And here's how the disciples respond. It says, then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She's bothering us with all of her begging. Right? I'm sure that's the response Jesus wants out of his disciples, right? Someone is being oppressed by demons. Tell them to go away. They're annoying. <laughs> so the disciples, they've, they've learned a lot of things, but they still don't really have a whole lot of love for other people. You know, when Jesus, remember earlier in the gospel, he had sent them out to begin doing some of the work that he had been doing, right? He sent them out on their first uh, ministry journeys, and they came back, and they were all excited, and they bragged about all the stuff they did, right? We went here, we cast out these demons, we did these amazing things, even demons listened to us when we invoked your name, but no one ever talked about, and we saw people's hearts and lives change. Right? And people came to faith in you. They came back and said, we did awesome stuff. Aren't we awesome? And then they proceeded to argue about who was the most awesome. You know, who would have the best seat in heaven. And see, that nobody, nobody cares what you know until they know that you care. Right? It, it doesn't matter how much knowledge you have if you're not using it to love people. Paul talks about that in a couple of his letters, right? If I do all these things and don't have love, I'm just making noise. Nobody cares what you know until they know that you care. And so Jesus, he's trying to get this across to them. He's trying to make a point to his disciples. We'll read on, verse 24. It says, Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. Now, What he said is true, right? This his first primary objective was to come and reveal himself to the people of Israel who had been waiting for their king, right? 
His, his primary objective was to come and be that king, give them the chance to recognize him as their, their long-awaited Messiah, and he knew they wouldn't. But if he really intended only to minister to the lost sheep of Israel, why did he even go to this place that is not Israel? Right? This isn't by accident. I think he's setting the stage for this, this game-changing, this life-altering moment. He's, he's creating a sense of anticipation in the crowd. And I think he probably said this with a little bit of a twinkle in his eye. I think he's giving them a hard time, right? Well, I, sorry, I only am here for the people of Israel. He's speaking my love language, which is sarcasm, right? Because I, I, I do this to my kids all the time when they're like, well, how come he got to blah, 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 blah? And I, and I always just tell them, well, I love that one more than you. <laughs> and they can either believe it or know that, no, I, I had my reasons. Obviously, I don't love your sister more than you. Well, it depends which kid you're talking about. But anyway. It, <laughs> no. uh, now, he's setting them up for something special. He's, he's about to tear down a wall, and he wants to make sure everyone leans in and goes, wait, what did What's happening here? What did he just say? Verse 25, it says, But she came and worshipped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. She came, and the word there is proskuneo. It's, it's to kneel down, face in the dirt. And it also means to kiss toward, right? That's what worship is, is we, we kneel down at the feet of the one who's worthy of it, and we just... Give them our whatever affection we can. And she worshipped him, though, right? Because he's just kind of given her the, the cold shoulder. And she worships him anyway. She worshipped him before he had spoken to her, before he had done anything for her. Before what she asked for is given to her, she still worships him. Because he's, he's worthy of worship no matter what our circumstances are. Right, the old saying is, is that God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. So she worships him even, even though there's a good chance she may not get anything out of this, but he's still worthy of it. Verse 26, Jesus responded, It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. Another sweet thing to say. But actually, you know, he uses a, a specific word here. There's a couple different words for dog. And this isn't, you know, when you would refer to people being a, a dog, like a, you know, scum or whatever. He uses this, this word that means like a little pet or a lap dog, right? The little silly dogs that aren't good for anything except to be pets, right? They're not going to protect you from anything. But they're loved. When he says, it's not right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs, she replied, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. So she doesn't bristle at being compared to a dog. Right? She, she's aware of who she is and of who he is. And she's worshiping him. He's the master and she's not. She's not worthy to be in his presence, but she's happy 
to be in the position of simply being at his feet. That's still a good place to be. Right now, so we read this and we go, well, that's kind of offensive, right? But what, what is, right before this, he was talking about Israel, and he says, I'm here for the lost sheep, the dumb animals, right? You know, I at least referred, he at least referred to her as the thing we have affection for. Nobody has affection for sheep. Maybe some people do, but. But she's aware of who she is and who he is and, and, and the, the, the divide between them. And so she appeals to him based on his mercy and not her merit, right? She, she doesn't argue that she's entitled to a miracle, right? She doesn't try to make her case of why she deserves it. And that's what a faithful person does, is we, we bring the broken pieces of our of our circumstances, and we place them in the hands of Jesus, knowing that he alone is able to solve it. Right? That's, that's our only hope. Right? So she just worships him. She says, Lord, even just to be at your feet, I'm, I'm willing, I'm thankful for whatever falls off the table. In verse 28, he says, Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is what? Your faith is great. Your request is granted, and her daughter was instantly healed. Now, why was her faith great? Because two weeks ago, I know we, we didn't have church services because of the weather, but we still live-streamed the, the message, and we got to see when, when Jesus walks on water, and Peter walks on water for a little while, and he starts to sink, and, and, and Jesus talked to him about, you have little faith. But he didn't say, you know, your faith is terrible. He just says, your faith... It didn't last, but he called him, he, he said, you know, you still had enough faith to step out and to follow me and to walk on the water. That, that's still amazing, but that's just what, a little bit of faith. And here he, he talks to this woman, he says, you have great faith. She worshipped him despite her circumstances. She, she was humble, right, and, and appealed to his mercy over her merit. But most importantly, she was persistent. Right? She, she kept calling upon him. Because, you know, when something's really important to me, I, can, I tend to obsess over it. But most of the time, I am pretty easily distracted. Right? When I, I, I start to work on something, and then I get a notification on my phone, and so I click the notification, and then well, while I'm here, I might as well scroll through my Instagram a little bit, and I find a funny video of a cow, and that reminds me, I want a cheeseburger. And, <laughs> and I, so I go get my burger, and while I'm eating my burger, I, I click on another video. And next thing you know, I'm watching a documentary about government cover-ups of alien cow mutilations or something, you know. And at the end of the day, I'm like, man, why is it so hard to get things done? Right? I'm, I'm, our faith, though, is oftentimes it's like that. It, it's kind of half-hearted and distracted. And James talks about this uh, in one of his letters. He, <coughs> James 1, verse 5, it says, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty 
is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Right? Uh, sincere prayer, sincere faith is, is persistent. Right? It doesn't say, well, I might as well give this a shot. It says, this is my only shot. And it's not about, I don't want you to get the wrong idea, it's not about bugging God but it, it's about keeping our dependence on him at the very front of our minds. Right? It's not like if I just say it enough, God will just relent. Right? But sometimes, you know, we, we pray about something and it, it seems like he's silent. It, and if God seems to be silent to your prayer, it could be, it could be that simply the answer to your prayer is no. Right? could be you're just not hearing the answer you want to hear. That's, that's a legitimate thing. It could be that the answer is not yet. Or he could be trying to show you something. And he wants that silence to cause a little tension. To get your attention. But either way, you keep praying until it becomes clear. Because... Here's the thing, is that prayer is not about changing God's mind. It's about changing my heart. Right? That's what it's designed for. It's about getting my heart on the same page with His. So, you know, like when we pray, your will be done, we don't really mean that most of the time, unless by chance your will lines up with my will, right? But we pray, and we pray, hoping that our hearts would change and be in line with his. That's, you know, in, in 1 John it talks about confession, right? We confess our sins, and he's faithful to cleanse us and forgive us. That word confession, it means to agree with God, right? It doesn't mean to admit to something. He already knows everything that you've done. Just like when we pray, we're not surprising him with like, oh, I had no idea that was going on, right? He already knows, but when we confess, we're agreeing with God about our sin. I now see it for what it is, that it's, a, it's something that you had to die for uh, to pay my debt for me. Right? And when we pray, we're, we're, we're saying, God, you're already aware of all this, but I want my heart to be in line with whatever your heart is in this situation. Psalm 37, verse 4 says that, we Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I used to think, that's awesome. If I just love God, he gives me whatever I want. And now that's not the point. God says, no, if what you love is what I love, then, then you'll get what is the best thing for you, right? If what you love, what you desire, is what I think is the best thing for you, then that's exactly what you've got coming, and your heart will be in line with it, and it'll, it'll be all right. You know, there's, there's, there's a reason all this stuff is happening in the same chapter as last week's message. Uh, you may, may or may not remember, right? The Pharisees had come to Jesus uh, with their chests kind of swelled up and, and intending to, to straighten Jesus out. And they never considered that what Jesus had to say was actually worthwhile, was actually true, and was right. And this woman is, is in the exact reverse role. She's coming humbly, believing with an open 
heart and open hands. And she's like, God, just have mercy. I don't deserve it, but just have mercy on me. Now, what follows this is kind of, it's a little weird at first glance why this is here, but we're going to see why. Matthew 15, verse 29. It says, Jesus returned to the Sea of Galilee, climbed a hill, and sat down. A vast crowd brought to him people who were lame, blind, crippled, those who couldn't speak, and many others. They laid them before Jesus, and he healed them all. The crowd was amazed, those who hadn't been able to uh, speak were talking and crippled were made well the lame were walking the blind could see again they praised the God of Israel remember he's not in Israel right? he's in a place where these are people that are completely on the outside as far as they know from God's plans but they see him working and, and they're praising the God of Israel then Jesus called his disciples and told them I feel sorry for these people. Now your translation, um, I don't like how this particular translation handles that. The, it should be, I feel compassion, right? Jesus had compassion on them. Uh, and there's, it's kind of an interesting word in the Greek. It, it's only used four times. The only time we ever see compassion in the New Testament, it's four times. And every time it's Jesus and how he feels toward people. It was such a unique term that we had to basically invent an English word for it. In the Greek, it meant, uh, it meant um, suffering in your internal organs, right? but along with someone. So we had to invent a word for that. We, we basically we took passion, which is suffering, and com- uh, in the Latin, it was composite or whatever. So like co, it was co-passion, right? Um, in other words, he was suffering not just for them, but with them, right? It, he felt so deeply for the people that it hurt him on the inside. And maybe you've experienced that before where you hear about something in someone's life and you, it's like a, just a punch in the gut. You just, man, I just hurt for you. Right, that's, that's a Jesus trait, right? He, he not only suffered with them, but he suffered for them. But he looks at them, he says, I feel sorry for them. I feel compassion for them. They've been here with me for three days. And they have nothing left to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry or they will faint along the way. The disciples replied, well, we're would we get enough food um, here in the wilderness for such a huge crowd? Jesus asked, how much bread do you have? And they replied, seven loaves and a few small fish. So Jesus told all the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and the fish, and he thanked God for them, and he broke them into pieces. He gave them to the disciples who distributed the food to the crowd. They all ate as much as they wanted. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. There were 4,000 men who were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. Then Jesus sent the people home, and he got into the boat and crossed over to the region of Megadon. So Mark's, Mark's gospel tells us that Jesus basically he left Lebanon. He headed to the east to this, this area called the Decapolis. It just meant there were 10 cities, and these are all Gentile territories. 
And so for three solid days, Jesus is teaching, he's healing, uh, he's performing miracles, and he cares about these people. Right? Remember, even though he said earlier, oh, I only came for the lost sheep of Israel, we know that's not the case. Right? He, he's caring for these people. And, it, and it's a little bit confusing, because you may remember a few weeks ago, Pastor Scotty preached the message where Jesus fed 5,000 people, right? Remember that story? And so some people get confused and they think, well, this is just the same story. It's just being retold for some reason. And that's not the case. The one that uh, we saw earlier, there were 5,000 people fed, right? And, and the gospel's very clear, very specific. That was on the western shore of Galilee. That's why I kept pointing out where, what cities and territories he's in. That was on the western shore of Galilee. Now there's 4,000 people being fed on the eastern shore of Galilee. There's, there were 5,000 people in the first story, and they were all Jews. Now there's 4,000 people, they're all Gentiles. There were, with the 5,000, there were five loaves and two fishes. With the 4,000, there's seven loaves and a few fish, whatever that means. The 5,000, that all happened in one day. The 4,000, he's very clear. He says, these people have been here with me three days. The 5,000, it says that there were 12 little baskets left over. With the 4,000, it says there were seven large baskets. And the word they used there, it basically meant a hamper. It was big enough that a man could fit in it. It's the same word that if you... Uh, if you're familiar with the book of Acts, there's a time where the Apostle Paul is in this town and everybody's, go- you want to, you know, you, you think my preaching can be offensive. They were going to murder him for the things he was saying. And so they had to lower him out of, the, out of the city over the wall in this large basket. So this is a basket big enough that a man could fit in. And so there's seven large hampers full of food left over. So all that being said, so there's, there's some clear differences, right? These are not the same event. But it's still awfully similar, right? Why, why would he perform the same miracle again? Because the disciples still don't understand. They're still not getting it. So there's a, there's a theme here, right? The, the Pharisees, earlier in the chapter, they came all upset because, remember, remember, they said that your disciples don't wash their hands in the ceremonial way that our fathers have taught us when they eat bread. And their minds were so fixed on the traditions, on, on the, the walls that they had built, that they only saw the unwashed hands. And the disciples, they see bread in front of them, and they worry that it's scarce. They're like, well, we have food, but where are we going to get enough for all this stuff that you're asking us to do? And Jesus, Jesus shows them that, hey, whatever I provide is not only enough but it's enough that when you give it away, I just keep providing it. I'll replenish it to the point that you'll have more left than what you started with. And the woman, she sees bread as God's grace to her in her time of need, right? That she knows that she, not even a crumb from the master's table you know, that even a crumb from the master's table is more than she deserves, but she knows it will be more than enough. In John 6, verse 48, Jesus says this. He says, I am the bread of life. Right? Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. 
Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I will offer so the world may live is my flesh. Right, so this whole sequence of events is, is Jesus is painting this picture of, you know, what is your relationship with the bread of life? And I believe that, that you know, there's, there's someone here who, who has a deep need that they've been presenting to the Lord. And you feel like he's not listening. And maybe you've even grown tired of and, and frustrated with asking. Maybe even feel like giving up, but but even a crumb from his table will be enough. So keep praying because he is listening. I believe there's there's someone here who, like the disciples, needs reminding that you can't outgive God. That you that that the people in your life who are annoying you may be the people he's calling you to love. Right? So what was their response to that woman? Send her away. She's bugging us. And, and Jesus is like, oh, you guys are missing the point. He's met your deepest needs so that you can be his hands here on earth and feed other people the bread of life. I believe there's people listening who need an attitude adjustment. Uh, yeah, no finger pointing right now. But, you know, this, this Canaanite woman received the miracle because she believed and she was open. And the Pharisees were closed-minded. They felt like they already knew everything. The disciples felt like they knew an awful lot. But are you, are you actually open and, and ready to learn? Or are you just filling your head with some facts? Right? You know, if you open up your mind and your heart to the idea that God's will for your life may actually be better than what you want, you might just be surprised to see what happens. Because prayer isn't about changing God's mind, it's about changing my heart. Right, it's about getting me back on, in line with him. And finally, I believe there's somebody here who, um, who like this, this Canaanite woman, probably feels like an outsider, and you feel like your life has been so dark, it's so bankrupt that the, the divide between you and God is just too big. I understand that, and it's true. The divide between unholy people and a holy God is too big for us to cross. The Apostle Paul wrote in, in a letter to Timothy. He says, you know, that uh, I've done a lot of things. But it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I'm foremost of all. Paul said, I'm as bad as it gets. But praise be to God who saved me as an example to others. Right? Praise be to God who crossed the barrier that I cannot cross. Who broke down the barriers for me. 
Anyone can come to Jesus. And whatever barrier, barrier you think is standing between you and him, he's already torn down. He says in John 6, verse 37, he says that all the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. You know, I don't say all these things to, because to, I know last week's message was very similar, right? That, you know, we leave here going, wow, I really feel like a piece of dirt. You know, thanks for that self-esteem destroyer. But Jesus doesn't, you know, he, he's not about uh, tearing you down, but he is about tearing down whatever barriers we've put around ourselves, right? Whatever excuses we've given ourselves, whatever whatever we've, we, we've just chosen to believe that we're not worthy, we're not blessable, we're not, uh, he's not going to work in my life in this way because of A, B, and C. He's all about tearing those things down. Yeah, we need to be reminded sometimes that we are distant. Just like in our relationships, sometimes you need a little bit of that silent treatment to know that, hey, there's something not right between us, but I'm not willing for it to stay like this. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you for uh, another opportunity to study your word, Lord. We, we, uh, we don't like it when we feel like we're not getting answers. We don't like it when we call out and, and we feel silence, we feel distance, we feel uh, shut out. But we know that those feelings, for one, are not true, that you're not ever shutting us out. But uh, you, may, you may be silent to, to point us toward something we've not been noticing. It may be that there's something, some barrier that we've erected in our own lives, in our own walk with you. So we pray, Lord, that whatever those things would be, that you would open our eyes, help us to see them, uh, confess them, come into agreement with you about them, and that they would be torn down. Lord, we also pray that if there's anyone uh, here listening online who, who uh, feels like the, the, the divide between you and them is so great that they could never have a relationship with you, that they would see that the truth is, if they would come to you, you would not cast them out. That if we put our faith in you, that you cleanse us, you make us new, and you start working with us right where we're at. And more importantly than anything, you give us eternal life. Lord, we thank you for that. We pray that uh, you come, and come quickly. And we pray these things, and your holy and precious name. Amen. All right, ready, y'all? Break.